The verse I'd like to leave with you tonight is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 here and the verse 10. David's words to Solomon his son. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. We'll bow together just briefly in a word of prayer, please. Lord, we thank thee tonight for this meeting. We rejoice in the mercy of God towards this congregation, this area, and this district. We thank thee, Lord, that here is a preaching house, a gospel preaching house. And Lord, we thank thee for its easy access as far as physically getting into the building is concerned. We thank thee for the prominence of this site. We thank thee for raising up this building. And Lord, we acknowledge that these things, while they are gifts of God, they're not the most important thing. Because the most important thing, as far as the house of God is concerned, is the message that's preached there. And, O oh God, we pray that thou wilt bless thy word that has been preached here in Market Hill over these past 40 years. We thank thee that thy word doth not return unto thee void. We rejoice tonight in the Lord's mercy towards us, and we pray that in this meeting now, as we give thanks to God, that thou wilt bless us together, and may the hand of God be upon us. And may we experience the opening up of the windows of heaven and the showering of God's blessing upon us this evening. Hear and answer prayer. Prepare our hearts. Touch our hearts. Speak to our hearts. Change our hearts tonight. And may we go from the house of God more determined to serve and to follow thee in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. David's life in this chapter is ebbing towards its close. The strength and vitality of youth and manhood have given way to the decline of old age. Things that David once did with ease, he now finds are a burden to him. The mind and the faculties of his mind that were once sharp and focused have now dulled somewhat with the passage of time. The affairs of state and the responsibilities that they brought that once he took in his stride are now too much for him to cope with. Age is catching up with David. He just can't take the same pressure anymore. And so he feels that the time has come for him to pull back to take a back seat, to retire to the shadows, as it were. And therefore David will, in effect, make a public pronouncement to that fact. And as a consequence then, a royal summons goes forth to the princes and leaders of the twelve tribes, to the captains of the army, the leaders of state, to David's sons and other dignities, to come to Jerusalem. To hear what is, in effect, the final public pronouncement of the man who had spent virtually all of his life serving the nation of Israel. He had, of course, in his early days, delivered the nation from the Philistines by the slaying of Goliath. And he had served Saul then for a period of time as a young man. 
He had served for 40 years as sovereign over the kingdom of Israel. But now, after 40 years, he felt it was time to hand over the reins to his son and his heir, Solomon. Indeed, the Lord had instructed him that that would be what was to take place. Because David had wanted to build the the new temple, but the Lord had said no. Sometimes God closes doors to you and me, doors that we would like to go through, that we think is right to go through, but the Lord makes no mistakes in these things. The Lord's ways are best, and so the Lord said no. And in effect, he was signaling the end, the coming to the end of David's reign as king over the children of Israel. And as a consequence then, the nation was about to enter into a new period. A new king, his own son Solomon, was about to come to the throne. And the new king and the people were about to be confronted with this great building program, the construction of the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. As I say, David had wanted to build that temple, but the Lord refused. However, the task of this construction was going to be given to the next generation, the up-and-coming generation of Israelite Solomon and his peers would have to undertake this building program. You see, the workmen in God's work might change, but the work was to progress. Though the old faces were passing off the scene, yet the Lord was in the process of raising up others to take their place. And that's the cornerstone, really, of what I want to say to you tonight and confront you with in this special service. Because we see here the unchanging work in a changing world. The unchanging work in a changing world. The first point I'd like to make to you is most obvious from these words that are before us. And yet, I think it's a good thing for us to remember. It is this You and I were living in a changing world. This chapter is all about change. Our scripture reading really is all about change. The young David who lay under the stars while tending the sheep is now an old man. According to 1 Kings chapter 1 and the verse 1, he cannot be kept warm. doesn't matter how many blankets he has or how much heat is on, he cannot be kept warm. The days of fighting the Goliaths have long since disappeared. Second Samuel 18 tells us that for many years David had not been permitted to go out to lead his people into battle, contrary to the general practice of these days. And as David here stands in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 to address the nation, I suppose it would have been easy for him to look back and reminisce and say what a great fellow he had been. He might have made mention of his many victories as he stood before the people at this particular time. David, as I'm sure you will know, never lost a battle. Out of all the times he engaged the enemy, be it the Philistines or the Amorites or whoever, never once was David defeated in a conflict. No matter how insignificant or how major the battle was, David was always victorious. And the secret of his victorious 
fighting on the battlefield was this as he testified in Psalm 140 and the verse 7. He said, the Lord had covered his head in the day of battle. The word is the Lord had overshadowed him, protected him. But as David here stands giving this final exhortation to his people publicly, he made no mention of his victories. Again, he might have mentioned and majored upon his many virtues. Because David, of course, could boast of his harp-playing abilities, his skill with the sling. He could easily have recited some of his many poems or spiritual songs and majored upon the many talents with which he had been blessed, but he didn't. Never mentioned them. He's silent as far as his virtues are concerned. In the third place, the old monarch might have made mention of his value as a king. The Israelites maintained in 2 Samuel 18 that David was worth 10,000 of any one of them. His value, you see, to the people as a leader, as a commander, as an encourager, as an example for the Lord had been immeasurable to them. How many times they had been blessed by having amongst them a man after God's own heart upon the throne. Oh, would to God we had that in this land of ours. A man after God's own heart. That's what we need. Because as far as the religious well-being of the land is concerned, it ought to begin at the very top. But sadly, we live in days of departure from God and from the truth. Every other king in Israel would be measured according to the standard of David. And the Bible tells us time and time again that out of all the kings that succeeded David, not one surpassed him. He was the greatest of them all. And yet David, in his final public utterance, he never mentions the value to the country that his rule had been. Nor does he extol his vocation as a child of God and how he had been used in the Lord's service after being converted as little more than a lad. David didn't mention any of these things. In fact, he didn't really mention anything that he had accomplished at all. Nor did he look backwards, apart from saying that the Lord had said no whenever he had desired to build the temple. Rather, David, in his closing address, concentrates upon the future. He looks forward. Perhaps you look back this morning with Mr. Patterson and his message. Tonight, I would like you to look forward. Because an anniversary is not only a time for looking back. It is also a time for casting our eyes to the future with encouragement. And with the greatest impact of blessing in our hearts and to our souls. Because in looking forward, we remember that the God who helped you in the past, the God who established this congregation, the God who has kept this congregation through thick and thin is the same God who will be with you out into the future as well. And so, at an anniversary such as this, we not only look back, but we also with confidence look forward. 
And so David here looks down through the corridor of time and he comes with a word of blessing and encouragement to the people of the nation of Israel because David is a man of vision. And even though he knows that his course is almost run and perhaps he won't be around to enjoy the times of blessing that lay before the nation. Yet he was confident that the God who had been with him over the 40 years that had been passed will in days to come likewise be with the up and coming generation. Because with the coming of the new king Solomon, a new area was being introduced in the land of Israel. Things would never be quite the same again. And is that not the truth that we all face every single day as individuals, in our homes, in our families, as you face also as a congregation? Things in this life never remain the same. Our circumstances, our situations, our lives, our society is always changing, always changing. Harold Macmillan, the former conservative prime minister, went to South Africa in 1960. There was great trouble between the different races in that country at that particular time. And during his visit, Macmillan made a very famous speech in which he said the wind of change is blowing through this continent, referring to the fact that many South Africans were beginning to have their human rights upheld. But we could take Macmillan's words and apply them to the context of what we're presently thinking about. And we could say that the wind of change is blowing through this world of ours constantly. Because nothing ever remains the same. We as a nation now, for the last few years, of course, are no longer in the European Union. Things have changed. Scotland is again demanding independence. There are calls for a poll on Irish unity. There's talk of food shortages and energy crises and spiring bills. We live in an increasingly hostile society towards the Christian and the things of God. Modern society wants to throw off Every biblical restraint, bring in sodomy and abortion, assisted suicide, whatever society wants, we're told it must get. Doesn't matter whether it's right or not. If society wants something, society must be given it, no matter what the Lord says. We live in a changing world. Our denomination is changing in the sense that many of our founding forefathers are no longer with us. Increasing numbers of our missionaries and Christian workers and ministers are coming towards retiring. As our brother intimated earlier, the Reverend Harry Kearns, who conducted the first gospel mission in this area in 1982, is no longer with us. Passed away suddenly in April of this year. We salute his memory and his tireless Labor in the Lord's service. But his passing reminds us that this is a changing world, an evolving world in that sense, and not always for the better. In the midst of such a climate of change, isn't it good to know that there is one who never changes? For I am the Lord, Malachi chapter 3 and the verse 6 declares, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. 
And were it not for the Lord then, the church would be consumed by the changing attitudes and the changing parts of this society in which we live. And yet we rejoice that though many things are shaken, yet he is the one who remaineth the same yesterday, today, and forever. Past, present, future. Yesterday, today, and forever. There is no shadow of turning with him. He is the everlasting rock of ages. Change is the mark of man on this earth. Unchangeableness is the mark of God and of the heavenly. Maybe change has marked your recent circumstances. I don't know how life is for you at this particular point in time. And maybe it's all changed as far as your life, your home, your family's concerned. Because life is always changing. But you can be sure that the Lord will remain true and faithful to you no matter what the future holds. Look what David said in verse 20 of this chapter. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and have a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I would say that to you tonight. In the midst of some trouble, some great change, some distress, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And the Lord tonight would speak to you as his son or his daughter. Here was hope for the future then in what David had to say. It didn't matter what the future brought for the people. The Lord would stand by Solomon. It didn't matter how much society would change. The Lord would stand by his work. For as long as Solomon needed the Lord and remained true and faithful to the Lord, the Lord would be with him until he had finished the work that he had to do. That's good to know that in the midst of the changing circumstances of life, there is one who will not fail nor forsake until your work for him as a child of God is finished. We live in a changing world. You think again of this chapter and you'll be confronted with the fact that the Lord has his chosen witnesses in every generation. Because David said to Solomon in verse 10, The Lord hath chosen thee. Solomon was a son, of course, a young man. The Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. And therefore David could finish his course, he could finish his life, he could go to his grave secure in the knowledge that the Lord had raised up someone to carry on the work in his stead. That was a fulfillment of the Lord's promise. In verse 6, the Lord had said, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts. You see, the Lord has his witnesses in every generation. There's always a remnant testimony Always those who are true and faithful to the cause of Christ. They might be few in number at times, but thank God he always has his remnant. Because he raises up, for example, a Joshua to continue the battles of Moses. He raises up an Elisha to carry on the work of Elijah. He raises a Timothy to take over the work when 
Paul or Saul of Tarsus is removed. He raises a Solomon to step into the shoes of the David. The Lord never leaves himself without an ambassador. There's always someone raised up to carry on the work. Never despair in God's work. Never despair of God's work. Sometimes we look around us at what goes on, the success of the cults, for example, modernism, apostasy, atheism, troubles within, wars without. But don't be discouraged by such things. Don't be discouraged by what takes place in the social or religious or political field. The Lord is still upon the throne. Similarly, the laborers might be few, but that has been always the case. That's always the case. We read in Matthew chapter 9 and the verse 37, the Lord said to the disciples to look on the fields as it were, and he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There were few laborers in the Lord's day, and yet the gospel harvest is still being gathered in. The Lord uses the few. And you know, few laborers are better than no laborers. But the Lord always ensures that his laborers are raised up. And that, I would suggest to you, brings a challenge, particularly to the young person who may be in this meeting tonight, a young man, a young woman, because the Lord chose Solomon to take up this work. Verse 10, David underlines what the Lord said, the Lord hath chosen thee to build the, and, and house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. What a blessing that was upon Solomon. And David was saying to him, you don't do God a favor by serving him as it were. He honors you by allowing you to serve him. And maybe the Lord would speak to your heart, young person in this meeting tonight, about serving him. Serving him at the local level in the church here or leaving your workplace and going to train to serve him in what's called a full-time capacity. Maybe the Lord would speak to you tonight, single you out from the crowd just as he singled out Zacchaeus long ago up the tree. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Make haste. Get into the Lord's work quickly, young person. Don't dilly-dally about because your life soon disappears and it cannot be relived again. used to be whenever Mr. Patterson was a young man, they had vinyls and to play music on. They're that old, I can't even remember what they were. Record players, that's it, was before my time, but whenever Mr. Patterson was about. And you were able to rewind them or rewind tapes and things like that. But you can't do that with life. You only get the one opportunity. It's only what's done for Jesus will last. And the Lord chooses people to be his witnesses. But in the one sense, the Lord doesn't force anybody into his service. He has given to you the capability of making up your own mind, but he won't force you into his service, but he expects you to be willing to go. And the Lord in these days in which we live He's looking for young men and women to take up the challenge of entering into the field of service. He says to you tonight, lift up your eyes. 
Why have you to lift up your eyes? Because if you don't lift up your eyes, you will see this old world with all its wickedness and with all of its sin. You just look around you and you see nothing but sin. And you hear the language of the world and you see the places of entertainment that the world goes to. You've got to lift up your eyes above that in a sense. And you've got to see people as sinners. Bound and captivated by sin and by the devil at his will. Lift up your eyes onto the field. And the Lord is looking for young men and for young women to take up the challenge of entering into the field of service. We've just passed the time of the year, of course, when the fields were covered with barley. And a waving field of golden grain is a beautiful sight, but it requires something. It requires a worker. A worker. Someone to get into the field with the harvester. It also demands and requires haste. Because the time of harvest is short. In a few weeks the wind and the rain come to destroy the harvest. If it's not gathered in, remember what Ruth said to Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 and the verse 2. Let me now go to the field. She didn't say, I want to go to the field in a week or two or a month or two. No, a month or two would be too late. And so she had to go now. Let me now go. And maybe at this anniversary service tonight, the Lord would speak to you about going, about serving, about giving yourself to the work and the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been thinking about it, entering into college. Well, now's the time to take up the challenge. John Wesley prayed, Lord, let me not live to be useless. Isn't that a prayer that each of us ought to utter and think about? We don't want our lives to be useless as far as the work of the Lord is concerned. There's also a companionship in the work detailed and outlined here because David in verse 21 gives an indication of the type of work to be engaged in by those who would come after him because he speaks about all manner of workmanship. Behold the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. And there shall be with thee all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man for any manner of service. You see, the work in a congregation is not a one-man ministry. You hear people talk about the one-man ministry. No such a thing. The work in a congregation is a joint work. The minister, the session, the committee... The members and friends of the congregation, they all work together. They all pull in the same direction. They all use their different talents as far as the spread of the gospel is concerned. And David here makes mention to Solomon about all manner of workmanship. He makes mention also about their willingness. Every willing, skillful man. You see, there might have been some in David's day who were skillful, but they weren't willing. They weren't willing. And in God's work, the most important part is not the talent. It's the willingness to use whatever talent you have to the glory of the Lord's holy name. And David here is happy to hand the work over to Solomon. Because he realized that this work wasn't all about him. 
He might have been annoyed whenever the Lord said, no, David, you're not building the temple. He might have, in the words of someone who's a, who's a friend of a man that both Mr. Patterson and me served uh, or trained together with, and this individual would talk about throwing the dummy out of the, pla- the, the pram sometime. David didn't throw the dummy out of the pram. Whenever the Lord said no, no, David realized that this was God's work. And the work was bigger than him. We read concerning Uzziah, King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26 in the verse 15, that he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. What happened? Uzziah became bigger than the work. And he thought he could do what he liked and he wanted to run the show. It was the priest's responsibility to burn the incense. Uzziah had been anointed king. It wasn't his duty or his calling. And sometimes that can happen in the Lord's work. People can think that they they can't be done without, as it were. And if they are not involved in the work, then they imagine that the work should not, cannot go ahead or go forward. No, that's not how it was with David. He was glad that the work would go on whenever he was no longer at the forefront. You see, he realized that the work that he was involved in, it wasn't all about him. His only concern was to leave a good inheritance for future generations. He wanted the temple to be built that the Lord's work would be progressing and seem to be progressing. And so he wished to leave a good testimony for generations to come. Finally, I'll take just a moment to think about the fact that the Lord prospers his unchanging work. You'll note from verse 10 that David instructed Solomon that he had been chosen to build an house for the sanctuary. It was to erect the building in which to house the Ark of the Covenant. And of course the whole building that Solomon built would be important, but the Ark of the Covenant would be the centerpiece in that building. The Ark of the Covenant was Naturally, a constant reminder of Christ. It pointed to Christ. It contained two tables of the law, Aaron's rod that budded and the pot of manna. I mentioned this morning in Dungan, and that speaks about the Savior's purity. He kept the law completely. Aaron's rod that budded, of course, was dead, but it became alive overnight. So Christ rose from the dead. The pot of manna speaks about the sustenance that Christ gives and feeds the child of God with, uh, spiritually speaking. And so that which was in the ark spoke of the purity of Christ. The ark was made of wood, speaking of his humanity. It was overlaid with gold, speaking of his deity. The ark was the meeting place between God and man, speaking of Christ's ability to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. And David, you see, was happy to have this place where the ark would have preeminence. David was happy to exalt in his life and to see in future days Christ therefore exalted 
and uplifted. He was happy that the Lord's work was firstly progressing. Because you think about the ark, when Israel was in the land of Egypt, they didn't have an ark, an ark of the covenant. When they wandered in the wilderness, the ark was kept in a temporary tabernacle. And now the Lord was indicating that the ark would no longer dwell in a temporary construction, but in a permanent building. Indeed, it would be a construction built with some of the largest stones imaginable, a building the like of which had never been seen before. And in thinking about the ark, can you not see how the Lord is progressing his work then? From having no ark to having a temporary building to a most magnificent temple for it to be housed. There's a going forward here as far as the revelation of the ark is concerned. And that's what we want to see for you as a congregation. Going forward. A going forward. Don't be content just to have reached your 40th birthday. Don't be content with having 40 candles in the cake, we might say, as far as the congregation is concerned. No, we want to be back here. Well, I mightn't be back here. Our brother will still be knocking about 10 years' time, 20 years' time, 25 years' time. This congregation, we want it to be in existence until the Lord comes back again. Whenever that might be. And we thank God. In that sense it's necessary to look back at what the Lord has done. But we can rejoice in what the Lord is yet to do. And we pray that you the members and friends of Market Hill. In days to come will experience such a progression. That God will give the increase. That the Lord himself will exalt. Jesus Christ among you. That Christ will continue to be preached in the fullness and power and demonstration of God the Holy Ghost. One final thing. This unchanging work was a perpetual work. Because the task that Solomon and the next generation of people was to undertake wasn't going to change at the way that the Lord was to be worshipped. The temple was a progression of the animal sacrifices that had been offered for generations. The building of the temple, the placing of the ark in the temple, it wasn't a new way to worship God. It wasn't a replacement of the worship that God had received down through the years. No, it was merely a progression of the same work. And that was Solomon's task, not to create a new way to worship God in the building of the temple. No, Solomon's task was to ensure that the Lord would be worshipped in the same way in his day, in his generation, as had been proclaimed in his father David's day and generation. You see, the gospel is like the Lord. It never changes. It must never change. And the message that Harry Kearns preached in that mission all those years ago is the same message that has always been preached in this pulpit. And may that message ever be preached in this pulpit. And we trust then that the Lord will give you grace and help in days to come. What is the message of the gospel? It is the innocent dying in the place of the guilty.
You might be here tonight, a guilty sinner, guilty of many sins, having transgressed God's law and broken God's law. And therefore tonight, in the sight of God, you are guilty of rebellion and guilty of sin. And that guilt will keep you from heaven. And more than that, that guilt will cost you your soul in the depths of hell forever. You need someone to pay the price of that guilt and that sin. That one is Jesus Christ. Who gave himself a ransom and died upon the cross. Christ, you see, is the answer to your need. And I trust that tonight that you will escape and make every attempt to escape from the fires of hell and everlasting punishment. That tonight you will flee to Christ, realizing and acknowledging your need, realizing and acknowledging that when Christ died upon the cross, he died for sinners just like you. Call upon him tonight in repentance. And if you can say nothing else, just say that little prayer that the children recite sometimes. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That's the unchanging message of the gospel in a changing world. Things change. People change. But your calling in days to come is just to keep on preaching the old gospel of salvation by faith in Christ. That's what the Lord blesses. That's the message that the Lord has blessed over these 40 years in Market Hill. And that's the only message that he will bless in days to come. And we trust that the Lord will come mightily upon you and that our brother will be set in fire of God and it will be noised abroad that the temple is being built in Market Hill to the glory of the Lord's name. May the Lord bless his word to your heart and bless you all in days to come for Christ's sake. Amen.